Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to another at-home edition of our Banner Lecture Series. I'm Adam Scher, Vice President for Collections and Exhibitions at the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. Uh, always glad to, to see you. Uh, as always, a big thank you to our members. Uh, they make these programs possible. Your support is deeply appreciated. And today we're especially grateful to our sponsor for today's program, the Society for Colonial Wars in the state of Virginia. Uh, the Society's mission is to recognize the importance of American colonial history and to commemorate the events, the military and naval personnel, and high civilian officials who assisted in the establishment, defense, and preservation of the American colonies in the founding of our country. So a big thank you to the society and to their governor, uh, Charles Grant, for their longtime support. Thank you very much. Um, before we get started, just a reminder that you'll be able to uh, ask uh, questions after the program today uh, by logging into uh, Facebook or YouTube. So be sure to do that and we'll we'll tally those, those questions and, and uh, send those up to our um, our speaker at the end of the program. A couple of upcoming program notes. Uh, on Tuesday, January 19th at 7 o'clock, we'll continue our movie myth-busting program. Uh, this is where you have an opportunity to, to see a film um, and then discuss it with our historians. Uh, I think there's a really interesting program coming up on the 19th that everyone is probably familiar with, Night at the Museum, a very well-known film. So you'll have a chance to watch the film in advance, and then you can log into an interactive Zoom presentation where we can chat together about what's true and what isn't. Uh, the program's free, uh, but registration is required. On February 8th, uh, we continue our curator conversation programs. This is for members only. Uh, that's at 10 a.m., uh, and we're, we'll be talking about a tale of two trunks. Uh, Andy Talkov, our senior director for curatorial affairs, will be giving what I think is going to be a fascinating program, uh, comparing uh, two trunks uh, of materials in our collections, one uh, that we acquired in 2001 from Mary Custis Lee, uh, the oldest uh, daughter of Robert E. Lee, and then more recently, a trunk of materials that we acquired uh, from James Joan uh, and his family. Uh, they were an African-American family, a uh, farming family in Prince Edward uh, County in Virginia. So be sure to tune into that on February 8th uh, at 10 a.m. Our next banner lecture will be uh, on February 11th at noon. Uh, historian Rick Murphy will discuss his latest book, Arrival of the First Africans in Virginia which explores the story behind the 32 African men, women, and children who arrived on the shores of Virginia in 1619. Today we have with us author and historian Scott Dawson. Uh, Scott has participated in 10 years of archeological digs on Hatteras Island, where it was discovered that the infamous Lost Colony assimilated with the local Croatoan Indians. The true story has been buried under a mountain of mythology, and Scott is here today to tell us the real story. Scott is a ninth generation native of Hatteras Island. He 
He serves on the board of the Outer Banks History Center and is president of the Croatoan Archaeological Society. Please welcome Scott Dawson. Thank you for having me here today, guys. And I'm sorry you can't see me, but uh, Wi-Fi on the Outer Banks only works at low tide. So we've got the slideshow working and you can hear me. So you don't really need to see me to get this information. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and, and jump right into it. Uh, to understand the lost colony, you have to understand the events that took place before they arrived. The historical context is important in any aspect of history you're studying. You always got to study the context. In archaeology as well, the context is what matters. A list of facts is not a story until the you can study the context and breathe life into it, which is what I'm going to try to do my best to do today. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about the colony, but uh, rather than run through what's wrong with the story, I'd it's best to just tell the story as it is in chronological order. And you guys can type questions as this is going and they'll be answered at the end. So here we go. In the 1580s, the most powerful nation on the planet was Spain. Um, and a lot of the reason for that is because they got the jump on New World settlement. Columbus went into the Bahamas. That's where he landed. And then later, the, the Spanish raid will take over pretty much the entire Caribbean and Mexico and huge chunks of South America, where they found a lot of gold and a lot of silver. And they're using this money to hire mercenaries to basically take over the world is what King Philip II wanted to do. Um, standing in opposition to that is Queen Elizabeth. There's a very personal hatred between Elizabeth and King Philip. Uh, not just the, the age-old Catholic versus Protestant, but uh, King Philip II of Spain had actually been married to Queen Elizabeth's um, older sister, who you know as Bloody Mary. And so there's a, they knew each other quite well, and, and he had um, designs to take over England. Um, to combat that, one thing a smaller nation can do to a larger nation is harass them on the high seas and pirate. So Queen Elizabeth was presented um, by a, a document by a group of men, um, Richard Hocklute, which was her court historian, and Humphrey Gilbert, uh, and uh, among others. It's got a long title, A Discourse of How Her Majesty May Annoy the King of Spain by Fitting Out Ships of War under pretense of letters of patent to discover and inhabit strange places. Basically what that means is plausible deniability. You can load up these ships full of men and guns to go on a science mission and we will pirate the Spanish. If we get caught, they'll hang us and we're pirates and you're, you're free of blame. But if we don't get caught, we will give you 10% of whatever we steal. In addition to that, Humphrey Gilbert was um, obsessed with finding a, the elusive Northwest Passage. So on his journeys, as they are able to convince the queen to, to fit him out with some ships and provisions, uh, he makes two of them, and he focuses a lot further north than where the Lost Colony will end up. He goes to Canada, and not a whole lot is done, and they never find a Northwest Passage. And in fact, Gilbert drowns. Um, his half-brother, Raleigh, was on another ship 
during the second voyage that turned around because they were low on victuals. They didn't have enough food. It's probably a good thing they did because everybody else drowned. When Raleigh came back, the patent was passed to him. He was given a six-year charter. It's basically a permission slip from the queen for six years to go settle and explore new lands, i.e. rob the Spanish. Um, and Raleigh himself never came to the New World, uh, but he will finance it, and he's he's running the show. And he's not so concerned with the Northwest Passage. He wants to find a good place to rob the Spanish. But before he sends over loads of people, you do what the military does today. You do a little recon. So he sends a group of about 36 guys on two ships in 1584 to find a good place to rob the Spanish, note any profitable resources, um, and that's through trade and natural resources like gold or lumber or whatever they find. There's no women. There's no kids. It's not a colony. It's not like Jamestown. It's purely a military expedition, all soldiers, and they landed on Hatteras Island, and they stayed for six weeks. This is where they met Manio and Wanchis. Um, neither one was a chief. They never fought each other. All that mess is from the play. None of it's true. But they did want to take some natives that were fairly young um, to teach English because they knew that the younger you are, the easier it is to learn a new language. And so they brought two guys back to England with them. And this way, when they went on the second voyage, they would have some way of communicating a little better other than just doing charades. So the this is true today as it was then. There's um, ocean currents. It has to do with the rotation of the earth. But you on a square rig vessel, you can't depend on the wind, and they don't have any weather forecasts. So they followed the natural currents, the northern equatorial current to the Caribbean, they can't go there because the Spanish are already well entrenched with forts there and in the Gulf Stream on the way back. If you look at this map from NASA, all this orange and yellow color is the warm waters of the Gulf Stream. And the blue and the um, sort of green colors are the Labrador current, which comes down from Canada. They collide at Diamond Shoals, which the native word for is Onaconan. And that is where the Gulf Stream no longer goes um, along the coast. So... The perfect place to put a pirate base is right there on Hatteras Island because it's the closest you can get to the Gulf Stream, which is what the Spanish were using to um, go home. And to rob the Spanish, if you on their way to the New World, all you would get is normal things, tools, clothes, nothing great. But if you catch the Spanish on their way home, those ships are full of gold and silver. So that was the, the idea, the plan anyway. I'll tell you a little bit about the, the natives before we get into the voyages. There are no teepees. There's no none of that headdress stuff. That's all out west. They're living in longhouses. They've got gardens. Uh, I wouldn't call them farms, but they are growing a lot of vegetables, corn, pumpkin, squash, beans, cucumbers, a lot of seafood. You can see in the upper right-hand corner of this is um, a picture of a midden. And it, you can see deer teeth in there and a lot of shellfish. They're, they're well-fed, fat and happy. They're not scraping by. Um, these are paint. The one on the left is a painting John White did of a Sequitan village, which is an Indian village on the mainland. They all pretty much look the same with these long houses and um, really large gardens or maybe small farms. The one on the right was done by an art student in Wilmington 
who kind of took three different John White paintings and squished them together into one to sort of show what was going on. Um, they did have canoes. That was the only uh, water vessel that they had. Then some of them were enormous. They could hold over 20 people. They were basically giant trees that they burned to the ground because they didn't have iron, so they couldn't cut them down. And then they would burn and scrape them out with shell and antler and bone tools. So needless to say, um, here's, here's a Rashaquan, which is a hoe. It's a whelk shell, and you can see where it's smooth on one side, and then that hole is where the handle went into it. When they met the English, the item they desired more than anything else was iron. They wanted hatchets, and they wanted saws because it's a whole lot easier to build houses and canoes with metal tools than it is trying to hack away at it with a seashell. Now, um, they did have a religion. It was uh, really nothing I can compare it to that's similar. Um, but they did believe in a heaven and a hell. Hell was called Popogoso, but instead of fire and brimstone, it was a place of darkness and cold. Um, they buried everybody in these mass burials um, during the winter and summer solstice. And they would keep the people that died in between in a matricomic, which is like a temple. And that, that little man that you see in there is actually a statue called Kibas, which is an ancestral god. And we'll get, I don't really have time to properly go into their religion just point out they had one and um they they would well we found one of these ossuaries is why i'm bringing it up i'll get to that later um there are several different tribes in this area and they did not all get along the Secotan, which was on the mainland part of north carolina present day uh mainland part of dare county terrell county and um hyde county around Mad Mesquite Lake, as well as Roanoke Island, were underneath a chief named Wingina. And they hated the Croatoan who lived out on the Outer Banks, uh, specifically Hatteras Island. And in 1582, a couple years before the English arrived, the Sequitin and Croatoan had stopped a war and they were celebrating on the island of Croatoan. So they feasted together, they danced together and everything was all smooth. And then the Sequitin pulled out um, hatchets that they had hidden underneath furs and butchered about 30 Croatoan who were unarmed and in their temples. They didn't take weapons into the temples. And they took 30 women off as slaves. So when the English arrived at Croatoan, they begged them to attack the Sequitin and promised them they could have all the tobacco and pearls and deer skins that they wanted if they would just help them and the English declined, they didn't come all the way across the ocean to get into a, you know, some squabble over here. They had their own problems with Spain. So they declined to do that in the beginning. Um, so this is kind of where the, the native towns were in this map here. There's three of them on the island of Croatoan. We dug up two of them. Um, that first voyage in 1584 went through an inlet called Chancandepico, which means that which is deep and becomes shallow, landed at Buxton. They did not land on Roanoke Island. Uh, in fact, only six people went to Roanoke Island, and they were only there for one day during the first voyage. Of course, that first voyage only lasted six weeks, um, but they spent almost the entire time, well, all of them spent the entire time on Hatteras Island or Croatoan, except for six of them, 
who went around in a longboat to explore the area, and they did spend one night on Roanoke. The second voyage is going to bring seven ships and over 600 men. And on the way over, they, they're going to rob the Spanish and steal two Spanish ships on the way here. They stopped in at Puerto Rico and smashed everybody and stole everything down to the door hinges, robbed the salt works, just sticking it to the Spanish um, the whole time. And because of that, the ships do not all arrive at the same time. There's seven ships. The first ship that arrived was called the Red Lion, and it went to Croatoan and dropped 32 men off there. And they were waiting on Hatteras Island for three weeks for the rest of the ships to get there. The last ship to arrive was the largest one called the Tiger, and it wrecked off of Wakakan, which today is Ocracoke. And when this wreck happened, it didn't sink like the Titanic. It just ran aground, but it did take on water. And in the hull, they had a lot of sugar that they had stolen from the Spanish. And sugar was worth its weight in gold, if you can imagine. It got ruined by all that salt water. They were um, counting on this sugar to pay back the investors who had kind of gambled and invested money in this venture. And because they, they didn't have that anymore, all the plans changed. And instead of 600 men settling here, all of the ships left, all of the men left, except for 105. And now they're under the direction of Ralph Lane. So that shipwreck is very, very important uh, shipwreck in American history because everything could have been different had that not happened. Anyway, the guy that they left in charge is a man named Ralph Lane, and he ends up burning down the village of Augustocock, which was in the Sakotan land, the enemies of the Croatoan. He burned it down because a silver cup was missing. And I think uh, we all agree overreacted a little bit to burn down an entire village over a single cup being taken. Uh, he will go on to he, – he idolizes Cortez, so he does a lot of Cortez tactics where he kidnaps people and holds them ransom. He ends up murdering a chief. Uh, it it's ruins the relationship with the Sakotan. But, of course, the Croatoan think this is awesome because they hate – the Sekotin. And Manio, um, one of the Croatoan they met in 1584, is back with them again in 85. And he's their interpreter and they're kind of like the squanto of the South. He does everything for them. And he's actually there with his friends when they ambush the Sekotin chief, Wingina, and shoot him in the back twice and cut his head off. And there's a line in Ralph Lane's own account where he writes with his own hand that they were careful watching for Manio and his friends to make sure none of them got hurt during this ambush. Um, at, at any rate, uh, because of Ralph Lane's actions, they're not doing too well. They're, they're so hungry, they end up eating their own hunting dogs. And he ends up sending a group of men under Edward Stafford to Croatoan to feed themselves, but also to look for any ships passing by so they can be rescued. And the men under Stafford behave themselves because they, uh, they're only at war with the Secretan. They never did anything to the Croatoan. They never killed any of them. And they spot Francis Drake coming up the coast. And Francis Drake's the first Englishman to sail, sail around the world. He's the hero of the Spanish Armada, which hasn't happened yet. And But he has sacked St. Augustine, and he's got 26 ships that he stole 
Chaplin and he's flagged down by Stafford. They burn these special leaves that make black smoke. And um, he came in and Ralph Lane says, I want gunpowder and more able men and this and this and that and gave him a wish list of the things he wanted so he could continue to stay. And Drake says, I'm happy to give you that and loads up a ship called the Francis named after himself. And a storm comes and the only ship that's driven off is the Francis. So he says to Lane, I'm not loading up another ship for you. I can take you home with me or you can stay here and starve. So Ralph Lane decides grudgingly to go home. Lane takes no responsibility whatsoever for his actions and blames everything on Richard Grenville, saying that if you had only resupplied me on time, then everything would be fine. Well, in 1586, uh, just a few weeks after Ralph Lane is left, with Francis Drake, the supply does show up and they have no idea what's going on. They don't know they're at war with the Secretan. They don't know anything that's transpired since, you know, there's not like they had cell phones back then. And they leave 15 guys on Roanoke Island, right in the heart of enemy territory. And these guys are basically jumping headfirst into a wood chipper and don't know it. As soon as the ships leave, the 15 men are attacked by the Secretan who burn the houses down, they burn the roofs, and they, they shoot uh, one of them through the mouth, and they smash another guy's head in. And, you know, I feel bad for those 15 guys because they didn't do anything. They're paying for what Ralph Lane had done. Grenville, however, on a, he continues to fight the Spanish. And just this little side story, but he, um, he took on 53 ships <laughs> And he was boarded three times where they jumped onto his ship. And in hand-to-hand -hand combat, he beat all three of those boarding attempts off. Eventually, they do take him. His men surrendered, and he would die of wounds that he received from the Spanish later, only to have all the Spanish die in a storm later. So good for him. His last words, uh, sink me the ship, Master Gunner, sink her, splitter in twain, fall into the hands of God, not the hands of Spain. Anyway, your lost colony, which you all came to hear about, they come over in 1587. Now, they don't know that the 15 men from 86, they don't know anything about them. So they stopped by Roanoke Island to pick up these 15 men. Their plan was to go to Chesapeake Bay, not necessarily Chesapeake, but the Chesapeake Bay somewhere. Because they are bringing women and kids, there's a lot uh, more sense in going somewhere with a deep harbor. They're not trying to use a, an island as an outpost to spot Spanish ships and slit their throat and take their gold. They're actually here to stay. So the Chesapeake Bay makes more sense for that. When they get to um, Roanoke Island, they're concerned with looking for these 15 men. And they find a skeleton of one of them because uh, they weren't buried, just sun-dried bones and no sign of the rest of them and they see where there's been the some of the houses have been lit on fire and it's not doesn't take a csi investigator to figure out what happened but um, one of the colonists themselves name is george howe was murdered the sequitin shot him 16 times with arrows and bashed his head in and when this event happened when george howe was killed they send uh, they've got manio with him again he'd been to england twice now they send Manio and Stafford, who Manio is from Croatoan, and Stafford had lived on Croatoan in 85. He's back again as well. They send him to Croatoan to find out who killed George Howe 
And what happened to our 15 men, even though they pretty much know the answer. And it doesn't surprise anybody. The Croatoan hosts them to a feast, welcome them back. And they say, it was the Sequitin that killed George Howe. And they killed two of your 15 and chased the rest of them off. So they asked the Croatoan, can you go to Dasakomonopo, which is a um, man's harbor today. It's a principal town of the Sequitin. And they said, try to smooth things over. We'll forgive them for killing George Howe if they can forgive us for what Ralph Lane did. Please explain we're an entirely different group and no one likes Ralph Lane. He was always picked last in dodgeball and what have you. So the Croatoan go to Dasakomonopo, but rather than relay the message, they just sack the town and steal all the pumpkin and all the corns and all the food. The English then go there and they see the Croatoan living there and they're, they are confused. And the Croatoan said that when they saw us coming, they fled because they've been enemies forever. And they, that satisfied the English as well. They'll take that. Um, the chief of the Croatoan's name was Minitanen, and he's going to get a ride on the light horse, which is a ship, to Roanoke and watch Manio get baptized and Virginia Dare be born. And um, John White himself is going to go back to England to get supplies. And he tells the colony, if you relocate, because it seems like Roanoke is a stupid place to stay, considering you're surrounded by the Sequitin who want to kill you and already have killed one of you. Write down the name of the place you're going in an obvious location. And if you leave for danger, just put a cross. If you leave because you're hungry or any other reason, don't put a cross. So, of course, um, it takes him three years to get back. Um, a lot of that is because of the Spanish and then the French. John White himself was actually attacked by the French on the way over his second attempt to come over. Uh, he was shot in the arm, or he shot in the butt. He was stabbed in the head with a pike, which is a spear, and slashed in the side with a sword. So they, they sent the wounded back to uh, Ireland, actually. They weren't very far on their journey. He had to recover from that. When he finally came over in 1590, he had to hitchhike with pirates because he couldn't find any other way to get back. The only guy that he knew amongst these pirates was a man named Captain Spicer. And they, for over a month, are just robbing people in the Caribbean. And they finally reluctantly, okay, okay, we'll go check on this colony for you. And none of the ships ever went to Roanoke Island because it's only two feet deep around there. So what they would do is they would anchor in the ocean and then they would take these small boats through the inlets. And then that's how they'd get into the sound. And it was very dangerous. When they were doing this, Captain Spicer drowned along with seven other people. And there was a mutiny where they said, we're not going any further. And, and White was able to beg and plead and, and let them try one more time. And he and 19 others try again and they make it through the inlet. They get to Roanoke Island and they see the word Croatoan written on a tree, which was um, a mystery to nobody. And he said that they would go to Croatoan the next day. Everybody agreed to do it. The next day when they try to go to Croatoan, they're driven off by a storm and they lose all but one anchor. And the crew was already had already mutinied once. And they, they're not having it anymore. They will not go any further. So they end up shipwrecking in Ireland, and they never go to Croatoan um, to check on them. So the last thing that John White wrote about it was, I was deeply joyful for a certain token, the message on the tree, of their safe arrival at Croatoan, the place to savage that island, our friends, and the place where Manio was born. So 
when Jamestown comes in, which you all know, 1607, 20 years later, um, they are told by the uh, Chowan Indians that the colony was at Onaconan, which is kind of like Croatoan. But it actually is, it means great turning of salt water. It's the old name of Diamond Shoals, which is in Buxton on Hatteras Island. Um, and they were told this by Opie Cancanu, Pocahontas' uncle. Nobody actually went there, though, because they're too busy starving to death themselves. Um, the next written account of anybody going to Hatteras to look isn't until John Lawson in 1701. But all he found were natives with blue eyes wearing English clothes who told him they had ancestors that were white people who could speak out of a book, meaning they could read. It mentions Sir Walter Raleigh by name, um, kind of case closed. The, the whole mythology that no one knows what Croatoan means and the whole lost colony, that all comes from a play in 1937. Nobody considered them missing or lost until that play uh, made that up. So it makes sense to go to Croatoan and dig some holes in the ground and see what comes up. So we got some professionals from England to do just that, and we found them. Um, this is an 11,000-year-old spear point. It's got nothing to do with the colony, but I put it in here as I thought it was awesome. Um, here's another one, Savannah Riverhead. It's 3,000 years old. And on the right is some mid-woodland pottery from about year 500. Just want to throw in some of the old stuff to show how long people have continuously lived on this island, which back then wasn't even an island. It was a peninsula as the water level was lower. Anyway, on the left is a, um, a, a native or piece of a giant native pot that we found behind the school. We took the middle school kids uh, to demonstrate archaeology and just show the process of how you dig a pit and ended up finding that. And they they um, got to go to the school back into the school and put it all together and end up finding some spearheads. So it's a pretty fun day. Uh, on the right is some colonial ware. It actually is from Jamestown. It's, uh, it's African. So they were harboring a runaway slave. But this was uh, in the 1700s where that stuff was found. Um, this is Hatteras Island. People imagine it as this barren sandbar for some reason. It's not. Uh, it's mostly a maritime forest, second largest maritime forest in the country. There's one that's larger in Louisiana, and that's it. So you can grow whatever you want. The myth that you can't grow food here is just stupid. Um, you can grow lemons. You can grow corn. You can grow whatever you want. When we start digging, um, some of the artifacts you can't take out of the ground. And on the left, you'll see the post holes from a longhouse or a piece of a longhouse. They're like 60 feet long. And there's a fire pit right in the middle. Got some borderware and it looks like a native pipe there. This is a really cool find. It, that photo is from National Geographic. They came down once we started getting good stuff. It's an arrowhead, but it's made out of glass. And of course, the natives don't have glass. And this was found at a layer of the 1500s. So that's from the colony. Um, you got a writing slate there with a pencil. We gave the writing slate to NASA to look at. There's actually an image of a man in English garb shooting an Indian in the back. Um, and uh, it might be depicted when they killed Wingina. Not real sure. Got some Tidewater pipes. You find those around Jamestown as well. There's a Manuel Drew is the one on the, the left. And then the Starfish one is by a man named Cotton. Uh, bottom left is a Nuremberg token. That's from the Lost Colony. More on that later. And then there's a, some Germanic stoneware with a silver lip on it that came from 
Joachim Gans, who was a metallurgist that came with him that is the first Jewish person in America. Um, I forgot what that orange thing is. Something to do with clothing. It's copper. This is one of our pits. Uh, you see all the little, what looks like sticks in there. Those are actually red plastic uh, spoons. Is the red showed up better than any other color and we're marking where post holes were. And so we had to go to the dollar store and buy all of the um, plastic spoons they had and forks like you get for a birthday, but it had to be red. It confused the dollar store to know when they kept having these people with British and Irish accents come in every two hours buying more of them as we found more and more and more. We ended up with 600 um, post holes, not in this pit, but in that dig. There's probably about 40 in that bit though. There's more of the pipes, um, pipes, arrowheads. The, on the left is a the handle of a rapier, which is a sword and it had a heart and a cross on it. And then you see the double heart fitting and then there's a doublet on the right. It's all Lost Colony stuff, 100%. Um, this is the uh, uh, olive jar. It's identical to the ones that they get in um, Augusta's in um, Florida. Um, brought in by Francis Drake, and it held olive oil, which they needed to process wool. This is a signet ring. It's um, bronze. It's got a prancing lion on it. Uh, that's also 16th century, along with a 16th century gun lock. It's identical to the ones that they've got in England. Um, the key piece that lets you know it's 16th century is the uh, the square, um, this little part right here. They're round after that. And where we found it and everything else we found around it was the same age. Um, this is the idea of some of our pits. There's actually a well in the middle of that. This is from the 1700s. So you go about two more feet, you get to the colony. Uh, uh, it's part of a, a seal. It's got the Florida lease like you see on the New Orleans Saints helmets. I just thought it was neat. Um, the there's a piece of eight is actually pure silver and I was printed in Mexico. Not sure why there were Spanish coins in there, but I guess they were robbing the Spanish the whole time. English coin on the right. Uh, there's a key. I'd like to know what it goes to. Some slipware. There's a metallic jug. There's a brandy bottle. There's a there's some severe alcoholism going on with the Indians later. Uh, there's a lot of brandy bottles. There's a lot of lead shot and guns. It seemed the two things they liked the best after metal tools were alcohol and firearms. Um, at any rate, we got a coin weight, 1644. This is kind of just some neat stuff on the way down. That is actually weighed against a gold coin from Scotland that has the same marking on it and it doesn't weigh the same. It means you snip the little gold off the side. Um, speaking of snip, that snipped glass over there is one of the first things that we found that belonged to the colony. And um, it's a long explanation as to how we know that. But there's a XRF machine. It was actually uh, inspired by Star Trek. This guy named Bruce Kaiser came up with it. And it looks like a price gun. And you put anything in the world underneath and zap it. And everything has a unique signature um, where the light bounces off of it and goes into this machine. And it's hooked up to a laptop and it can tell you all the elemental makeup of whatever it is. So you can tell how much lead and how much potassium and how much silica is in whatever you're shooting. And then you can extrapolate from that um, where the glass came from and how old it is. And I don't pretend to know how it works, but um, 
they figured out the what it was. And it's a, that key actually goes to a pocket watch, which is interesting. Just imagine natives with these pocket watches and these glass Venetian trade beads and uh, using firearms and drinking brandy, but that's what they were doing. Um, this is a gun barrel. I found that actually um, did electrolysis on it myself. It's um, from a musketoon, which is like a, a short gun is good for uh, fighting on the deck of a ship. And it's been smashed. You can see where the business end has been hit. When the gun broke, they used the iron. They repurposed it to um, help tap trees. The whole thing was full of sap. It's a big 11-inch spike and a lead shot. There's thousands of lead shot balls. We actually found the forge where they were making the lead shot in the Indian village as well as where they were metalworking. Um, it was a smokehouse. I don't really have time to get into that. This is smelted copper from the colony. It's um, almost two inches thick, and it is from England. And what we found where they were smelting the copper on site, you can find the forge. We found the post holes, the whole thing. Um, so they're not just – there's a difference between 16th century artifacts from the military guys who lived there in 84 versus the lost colony of 87. Because guys in 84 did not waste time building – um, blacksmith shops and things. They were living in military field tents. They weren't meant to stay there in and out. These guys are actually metalworking and living on the site. And you can see where they did that for at least 15 years making this stuff. The um, Nuremberg token, there's been three of them that were found on Roanoke Island. That's the best evidence they've ever found on Roanoke. Two of them have been found on Hatteras Island. The three found on Roanoke Island are when they were building Fort Raleigh. Fort Raleigh is not 400 years old. It's from 1952. It built it with a backhoe. And it's just for tourists. Like the whole play, all that is just a lie, really. But they did find these um, tokens. Um, but because they didn't do it the proper way with archaeology, you can't say when they got there. And the one found on, the first one found on Hatteras Island was found when a guy was building a bar. So they are from the 16th century, but unless you find it the right, proper way, you can't, that's not science. Well, we found one the proper way, and that's the photographed one, and it's identical to the others. So we found that on a Good Friday, and if you've heard of Nick Knowles, he's a famous TV personality from England that no one's heard of over here. He really enjoyed being able to go out to eat and things here, and nobody bothered him. But I really enjoyed him paying for everything. Um, he pulled that out of the sifter on Good Friday. It's that Germanic stoneware again. And um, this fire bar was actually used. You can see the top is what it looks like when it comes out of the ground. And then after you do electrolysis on it, um, that's what it looks like on the bottom. And then you have to coat it with this special wax so the air doesn't get on in. The fun part is digging it up, and then it kind of turns into work after that. There's a silver ring. It barely fits on my pinky. It belonged to a female. Of course, there's only um, – we don't know that for certain. It could have been a guy with really small hands. Um, there's a copper anglet. This is a, basically the little plastic thing that you have on your shoelaces now. The fancy guys had those on their shoelaces, um, copper ones. We've got 14 of those. Um, so, you know, there's more evidence than that, but – Got to leave some time for questions. There's one last message that the colony left for us. Oh, no, it's not yet. There's a – never mind. There's more. <laughs>
that's the slate I talked about earlier. That's the rapier I talked about earlier. This is a rapier looks like today of that type. Um, you can see our crew is very serious all the time, especially in the upper right there. They got to have some fun a little bit. They dig all day long and clean artifacts all night long. And there's about 40 more of them now. Uh, there's our sponsors. And this is our the last message the colony left. They spelled out, uh, please help us with their four-wheel drives on the point. But that that's actually a, um, a protest to keep the beach open because the Park Service shut it down to where you weren't even allowed to walk out there because of a bird. The bird wasn't there, but in case the bird might want to land there, they shut it down. You know how it is. Um, you can go out there now. You just have to pay a fee because you are only disturbing the bird if you went out there for free. If you pay the Park Service a nice fine, then you can go back. So all is good. Any questions? Thanks, Scott. Fascinating stuff. Uh, what's what's the current status of the dig of the project? Limbo because of COVID-19. We usually dig around Easter and that's the plan right now, but it's hard to get everything in place because you got to find somewhere for all these English folks to stay and you got to feed them all. And there's a lot of logistics that go into it. And I'm hesitant to do it when we're not allowed to have more than 10 people in a given area. And doing a dig with less than 10 people is stupid. You're not going to get a whole lot done. Um, so we're kind of in limbo. And, and what led to, uh, to, to the British being in, and the Irish being involved in the dig? How did that happen? Well, um, I had written a book about, I guess it's 20 years ago now, that basically spelled out, hey guys, if you read real history, it's quite obvious the colony came here. I'd love some professionals to come down and check it out. And they got a hold of that and, uh, and called me up. I thought it was a prank because Mark Horton, who's the leader, is the most famous archaeologist in the world. And I didn't, I thought it was like some people pranking me and using a fake British accent. And they said he was coming. I was like, yeah, okay. And then we actually showed up. I was like, oh, it's not a prank. I better find something now because I talked all that smack about there right here. And, and I took them out in the woods and I got permission from the property owners. And I said, this is where I would dig. And I based it on, they built a house over here and we found stuff built a house over there and found stuff. Um, I never dug on my own because I didn't want to ruin the archaeological record. But if someone was building a house and already ruining it, then I would go over and try to salvage some of the stuff, you know. And so we went and uh, ended up finding them immediately. It took all of about four hours to find the lost colony. And then we just quietly dug them up for about 10 years and then uh, – and then told the press about it. He said, don't tell the press anything because it'll be a circus and we'll never be left alone. And he's right. As soon as um, they knew about it, Discovery Channel was there, History Channel was there, Nat Geo was there, and it was a mess. We had to find things for them to do on the island away from the site so we get some work done. So what, what becomes of the the items that you've excavated, you're of course, um, you know, you're leading the, the Croatoan Archaeological Society and, and you're on the board of the Outer Banks History Center. 
are, are they involved in helping to preserve and interpret these collections? The Outer Banks History Center is is very minor role in it, but the Croton Archaeological Society is heavily involved. And what we've done, of course, it, you can't go see it right now because it's in a county building. Um, we've got all of the key artifacts on display in Hatters Village, but it's a county-owned building, so they're closed right now for COVID. Uh, I'm sorry about that. I, no one hates it more than me. Uh, the the whole purpose of doing this is to share the history with everybody and we we're able to do it my goal i wanted the artifacts to stay on the island because that's where they came from and i i don't have any faith or trust whatsoever in government at all and so i feared if we gave them to raleigh they'd sit in a closet somewhere so they could continue to push the narrative of them being lost and i just i just don't have any faith in anyone so i wanted them to stay on the island but my second goal is i wanted everyone to be able to see them for free and not charge admission. So you can see all of those artifacts for free. We've got um, hundreds of thousands of artifacts on, in a um, storage facility, temperature controlled, all that. And about every three months, we switch them out. But we haven't switched them out since March because no one can see them. So, um, but we'll, we switch them out about every three months so there's something new to see. Also, as a um, if God forbid, like we got robbed or something, at least then not everything would get taken at once. Um, the Hatteras Island Civic Association has been instrumental as well. It's basically a Hatteras Island project and it's our artifacts and our history and our heritage. So we're putting it on display and taking care of it ourselves. And um, there's, we've never written a grant. We've never, nothing. All of this stuff was paid for by doing you know, bake sales and t-shirts and we did it all ourselves. We built the sifters in my garage um, with a fence that blew down from a hurricane. Uh, we did everything ourselves. We got um, the people to, half the diggers stayed in my house, like just slept in my basement, you know. We got people to donate houses and donate food and different families on the island will host a barbecue every night. We just had a good time and, you know, the best way to do something is to do it yourself. A real grassroots effort. That's great. Uh, so we do have a couple of questions that have come in. Uh, the first one is, you know, the English assimilated into the Croatoan people. Any clue about what specifically happened to, to folks that joined the English people once they had joined the tribe? Yeah, they, they've always maintained that on the island. They've always maintained that that's what happened. And it's not just what was told to Lawson in 1701. There was a land grant to the Hatteras Indians, 1759, where they were given, I won't know they're not given, they were allowed to keep 200 acres. And um, on the land grant, they list a head of household. And it's all the names you see in a phone book today. So even by then, they were already assimilated with white people. You also had um, ministers that, that came down when they had this idea they needed to baptize the whole world. And they came out to Hatteras Island and were appalled because they saw this mixed race community living together. But that's the way it's it's been always. Um, today, it's just so overwhelmed with uh, white and black and everything else. It, you, you got some people with some Elizabeth Warren amount of Croatoan, but they're gone. Basically, just breed it out. And um, they never left the island. In fact, when we're digging, we can see that in the 1600s, 
they're thriving even more than they did in the 1500s. And a lot of that's from the technologies that they learned from the English, as well as getting firearms. Uh, it, it's insane how many more birds <laughs> they were eating after they got shotguns. Um, they're always eating deer and fish and birds and turtles and things like that. But the amount uh, shifts when the firearms come in to play. And I think that um, it's a beautiful story. It, it's a lot better than the on and off genocide that you get in Plymouth and, and Jamestown. So they just um, breed it in. There's only 16 white women. So it's going to speed it up. It's not like, you know, it's 50, 50. Three fourths of the people that came over were men. So that kind of speeds up the assimilation when it's almost impossible to have a lot of white couples having white kids when there's only 16 women. Um, and sailors have historically not been too picky. Uh, another viewer asked, where, where are the villages located in, on present day Hatteras? Right where the villages are now. The biggest one is in Buxton, which is the biggest village on the island today. Uh, there's one in Hatter's Village that is an, way bigger than I thought it would be because Hatter's Village is kind of low and um, not as wooded, but it was 400 years ago. It's just been smashed by a lot of hurricanes. And there's one in Frisco. So uh, pretty much where the, the villages are today are right on top of the Indian villages. And there's a reason for that, and it's a good one, freshwater. There's freshwater aquifer um, on those three locations and you can dig a well and it never goes dry. So I think you mentioned that the Jamestown settlers went to look for the lost colony. Uh, why did they not go to Croatan? They gave a real half-ass attempt at it. They um, were just too busy starving to death themselves. For one thing, King James did not want to find a colony and he did not instruct him to he hated raleigh he, he didn't hate the colonists they were like the drogues of society he didn't know who they were but he hated the investors he hated raleigh put him in a tower of london and um after sending him on suicide missions and he just wouldn't die he charged him for treason put him in tower of london for 11 years and then cut his head off which his wife kept in a purse for a year it's kind of weird i wonder if she talked to it but um they they weren't too concerned. I think is 20 years later, they assumed they must all be dead because the first year of Jamestown, 150 something people died out of, you know, over half of them died and they had help from Indians too. I'm sure, you know, Pocahontas story and all that, and they still starved. So I think they just assumed they couldn't have made it. And so they didn't look too hard, even though they were told exactly where they were. Nobody looked to me. That's a greater mystery than anything is that conversely why did nobody from the colony go up to Jamestown I mean they had to have mm -hmm. the latest of the winter of 0102 there was a volcano that exploded in South America and we know the date because the Spanish were there and wrote it down it caused a global war and the like the grapes wouldn't grow in italy thousands of people froze to death in russia and in the northern parts and 
the Noose River froze to the width of a mile. Noose River in North Carolina doesn't freeze at all most years and is never frozen at the width of a mile. And the Indians talked about this great die-off that happened. And it would have frozen the Pamlico Sound, which would have hurt the tribe a lot. And we do notice on our dig, though, that in the 1600s, they seem to be doing totally fine. So that it kind of flies in the face of my volcano theory. But if push comes to shove, you're going to feed your own, you know. And I, I don't know. I don't know why nobody went. We've got cakes or whatever, but they didn't. Um, and you know, it it could be that that a lot of them died off in his first twenty years, and and their kids and their grandkids are going to be speaking Algonquin and basically living a native life. They never even seen England, so then maybe they just didn't have desire. I don't know. That is one of the compelling um, questions to think about. Uh, one one viewer asked that uh, they noticed on your presentation that one map uh, showed uh, a voyage to to Coleraine. What what was that? Uh, and since it was a long way from Croatoan. Yeah. So what that was is in the second voyage, the one with Ralph Lane, the the jerk that was killing everybody. He um, was tricked by Wingina. Um The chief of the Sequitan told him that okay. Let me back up. The Croatoan chief, Minnetonin, had been wounded before the English even got here, fighting against Wingina. And because of that, um, he was shot three times. He couldn't walk. He was hitting the spine. And because of that, he was recovering in um, what's today Colerain, which they called Chowan. And um, I know it's Colerain because it talks about how the river narrowed right at that point. It's a long explanation, but it, that's where it was. And that he was the Croatoan were allies with the Indians of that area up there. And so he was recovering in that town because he couldn't make it home. He probably would have died on the journey. And when Gina sent Ralph Lane up there and said, you know, if you go up there, that's where the source of the pearls is that because Lane wanted to know where are all these pearls coming from. And he sent him up there and then he sent word ahead to Minnetonka and he said, look, these white devils are here and they're going to kill us all. We need to band together and you should raise an army and kill them. So when Gina is trying to get his two enemies to fight each other and they did go up there to, and to Coleraine and shot a bunch of them a grape shot and killed a bunch of people. And they took Minnetonin's, um son, Skyco, as a prisoner. And they asked um, Minnetonin, like, why did you want to fight us? And he's like, because when Gina said you came up here to kill me, which was a lie. And they Lane didn't know who to believe. That's why he took Skyco. And when he got back, he learned that while he was gone, when Gina had been tearing up fishing nets and doing all this pesky stuff, and um, then he learns from Skyco because he lets him go once he realizes that when Gina is his real enemy, that when Gina had planned to light all their houses on fire at night, and when they came running out of them without their armor, shoot them. And so that's why he ambushes and kills when Gina first. And this is all revealed to him by the, the Croatoan chief's son. And it's misinterpreted a lot because people think that Minnetonin was the chief of the Chowan. He was not. He was just – they were friends. They were friends with the Indians up there, and he, that's why he was recovering there. But the kicker is in 1587 when they when he's with the Croatoan stealing the corn and pumpkins and from Das Komonopo. I know that's a lot of like 
places and Indian words and it's hard to follow, but that's why I didn't really go into it too much. Kind of glossed over that part. It's all in the book. Uh, a viewer asked where, uh, where was Trinity Harbor? Trinity Harbor. I don't know the native name for that. Um, uh, I don't know exactly. Um, it's anybody's guess really, I guess. I mean, those things kind of move around a lot. There's, it, it's really hard to get a handle on some of the inlets and we did have a geologist come down and we were able to identify Chank and Depico and Port Fernando and some of those, but, um, and they may have, they may have done that one, but I don't remember. A, a viewer mentioned a lost colony outdoor show. Yeah. Is that, is that still happening? No, because of COVID, but the, so the, the lost colony um, play, which began in 1937, when it started was a big deal. President Roosevelt was at the opening. Andy Griffith acted in it and it was a huge thing. And they created this mythology of the colony vanishing and no one having a clue. And they pretended they don't know who the Croatoan were. They never tell you that the English lived on Croatoan for years before this even happened. They don't tell you anything that I just went through. They don't tell you any of that. They just act like everything happened on Roanoke Island. And then the governor came back, saw this funny word on the tree. No one knows what it means. Therefore, they vanished. And they created this mythology that has gone on for so long that they teach it in school now. They teach in school that no one knows what Croatoan means. And that's kind of insulting to these people that showed all this love and charity and took these folks in, major part of American history, and they're reduced to a word on a tree. And that's not right. Um, they're clearly labeled on the maps from the time. They even give the latitude of the inlets. They had Croatoan man go to England twice, <laughs> Manio. Um, there's another Croatoan buried in England named Toei, uh, which his grave says, here lies a Wingonacoan, because they mistook the name of the land in the beginning. Wingonacoan means you wear gay clothes. That's the first thing they said to the English um, when they saw them. But, you know, they were wearing colorful tights and feathers and things. So fair play. Is, uh, is Jamestown settlement... Uh interested in, in partnering with you or your organizations to tell this story? I've never asked them. Um, that would be awesome, you know, because they've got a lot of resources and I would lo love to do a comparative analysis with what they found and what we found, just the native stuff at least. And I know that, that Dr. Horton has, um, look at some of the stuff and so have I and I gotta say I, it, the the Native American pottery and the pipes and that kind of thing is identical to what we have identical and but if you go across the sound it, to other parts of North Carolina they're nothing alike so it does seem like there's more interaction um, between like eastern Virginia and the Outer Banks than there is between the Outer Banks and the mainland. That kind of makes sense with the way that they travel, though. That's 50 miles in a canoe to get to the mainland, whereas if you're going to Virginia, you just walk up the peninsula or canoe beside it, and if the weather's bad, you know. Um, 
but that would be that would be awesome to partner with them and and uh, I don't know if they'd be interested in doing that because it kind of makes Jamestown second place. But um, I'd love to do that. Well, I think that it's it's obviously there's a lot of interest in in this real story, and it's been a fascinating discussion. Uh, thank you again, Scott, for for this program today, and and thank you all um, for bearing with us as we have. Uh, technological challenges uh, as a result of doing these these programs but uh, your uh, your participation and your support of these programs is very very important to us so thank you um, and please tune in uh, to our next banner lecture on February 11th uh, with Rick Murphy who will be talking about his book the arrival of the first Africans in Virginia so thank you again all for tuning in and please be well bye-bye